0: Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. This is Dean Jones, and this is Season 5, Episode 1 of the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. Today I am very excited to have on our show the exuberant and exciting Lynn Bauman, who has written the cookbook, Brownies for Breakfast Cookbook. Um, This is a great cookbook. I think anybody would love this. Even though it is um, target audiences for diabetics, this is really for anybody who wants to change their diet and improve their health, and it's a great book. It's very informative. There's a lot of great recipes in there. It's just some solid cooking and food information on trying alternative sources for uh, sweeteners and different types of cooking for better health. Uh, Lynn Bauman is a wonderful guest. I really enjoy getting to talk to her. So I look forward to having you. Uh, hear the conversation so i'm going to go right to it and again welcome to the fifth season i'm so glad to have you all back here with me and i'm really glad to have you meet the guests that have written such great works and were such entertaining people for me to talk to and on we go here we go I want to welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian podcast, Lynn Bauman, who has written Brownies for Breakfast Cookbook, um, a really wonderful cookbook. Lynn, thank you for being on the show, and welcome to the fifth season.
1: Great. And everything I have, I understand, is yours. I mean, I I have no interest in seeing an edited thing or whatever. If I've said it, you can use it.
0: Okay. So um, I wanted to ask you, first off, for our listeners who are not familiar with your work, please tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: I'm old. There's so much to tell you. <laughs> Where do you want to start? Um, I—that's I, always a hard one for me.
0: Well, you'd say that you said you—you've—you know, this isn't your first rodeo, book-wise, So, what else have you no. written?
1: I. Uh, this is my fourth book. Um, stop just a second.
0: <clears throat> and I'll edit that out.
1: Thank you. I, I. Of course. I just have a big frog in my throat right now. Okay. This is my fourth book, uh, and uh, the first one was an experiment back in the '90s with self-publishing when self-publishing was brand new, and I did it all in PageMaker for any of, uh, of you who are geeks from way back. Oh
0: yeah, I remember. I remember PageMaker.
1: Okay, and um, it was called Fast, Cheap, and Skinny uh, because I was I was in the advertising business and had been since. Hold on to your hat. 1966. I had my first. Full-time job at an advertising agency in Los Angeles. Um, so, a, a more than one friend had said to me, "Gee, you got all these kids, and and you put food on the table for them, and you still, you know, how do you do it?" And and so, my superpower I discovered was putting pretty darn good food on the table, pretty healthy, in fifteen minutes. I can do a meal. It's like boom. So, my first book was fast, cheap, and skinny. Uh, because in those days, think back, um, and I I talk about this in my new book, there were so many diets. It was always a diet, and everyone was trying desperately to be thin all the time, so that was fast, cheap, and skinny. I think it was 1996, if I recall right. I
0: I swear, I remember stocking that in Walden Books when I worked at Walden Books.
1: No! No! Cool. Okay, well, I have some, I'll send you one. Um, it, then, then I teamed up with a longtime buddy, Deidre Hall, and I go back to the days in the 60s, when I worked for Redken Laboratories, many of you may know that name, Redken Laboratories, oh, yeah. cosmetic company, they um, were kind of a new game in town with their protein healthy products in Van Nuys, California, and I was thrilled to get a job with a cosmetic company. I was 21, I think, when I went to work there and um, came in one day after I'd been working there about three weeks and everyone but me had been fired in the advertising department. So as um, I was way over my head, way too young, but I told the president of the company, Paula Kent, wonderful woman, I'll, I will, I'll do what I can, I'll hire people, I'll, I'll be here for you, we can do this, and, um, and so I, I sort of invented a crash course for myself to go on with this and got all my vendors to help me learn about all the printing processes and the reproduction uh, paper processes and so on, and had a kind of a, an intense grad course in advertising, marketing, production at Redken Laboratories. So as part of that, uh, I was hiring hair models. And in, we we think it was 1967, uh, I hired this pretty blonde off of a head sheet who looked kind of like Angie Dickinson, I thought. And um, uh, she walked in and she was this skinny, freckly, adorable thing, just fresh off the boat from Florida and we just fell madly in love the way you do it's like hey hey you know kind of thing I was over my head she was over her head and um, so we worked together that way but but just stayed together as pals and still are she is Dr. Marlena Evans on the soap uh, days of our lives yep still still clocking it in and still beautiful and you know the wise and wonderful um, Dr. Marlena Evans so in I think it was 2010, um, she got a thing to go to Australia and said, you want to go? And I said, do I want to go? Of course I want to go. And um, she said, and so we started getting ready to go. And I thought, wait, she needs a book. We should have a book to take to Australia. So in six weeks between the two of us, um, and she would admit, I did most of the work, but she contributed a lot. And we pulled together this book called Deidre Hall's kitchen close-up, which is still selling. If you get it, you'll recognize a couple of the recipes that are in my newest book, maybe tweaked a little bit, but they are tried and true recipes that I've been using for decades. And that I want everybody to know how to do so. And then um, after that, we did w- one more called uh, Deidre Hall's How Does She Do It, which is a, more of a beauty book. But it's a beauty book about how it comes from the inside. You know, if you if you want to be beautiful, however you define that, you have to be healthy. You you have to start inside and and work outward. I mean, you know, the book talks about a lot of of makeup and those things too, but beauty is health. Plain and simple.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you know, you, <clears throat> yeah.
1: So, and my career was always about writing and print production and TV commercials and all those things. So, um, when it came time to do this book, um, I, uh, <laughs> it was a lot of homework, Dean, you know, books are hard. You know, this. Oh yeah.
2: People. Oh yeah. You know,
1: this <clears throat> they're hard. If you, if you want to do something really worthwhile with it. And my new book is called Brownies for Breakfast. And it is specifically for, and the subtitle is a cookbook for diabetics and the people who love them. Because I myself have been a diabetic, type two diabetic since I was in my early forties. And um, as the decades have gone by, I've learned that this disease is decimating people more than it did then. It's become worse rather than better. People still don't understand what it is and how to avoid it and how to prevent it and how to reverse it, even though it is preventable and reversible. And all the data is out there, all the research has been done. It, um, you can beat this. If you start early enough and if you are attentive enough, uh, you can definitely change your future as a type 2 diabetic. Um, people think, well, it's destiny, you know, it's genes. It's this, no, it's not. Um, you may have an inclination. You may, yes, have a genetic structure, mm-hmm. but, but when you begin to look into it, if, if you yourself are looking at this for someone you love or yourself, you will find that you can fix it, essentially. And better yet, the, the formula for fixing it is the same formula for fixing heart disease and for fixing allergies and for fixing colon problems. And for, I mean, this whole range of diseases that are diseases of affluence, diseases of bad food, essentially, lack of nutrition. And um, we, we have a problem, <laughs> Houston, and, and we, we can fix it, we know how to fix it, But it's a thing that is tricky because we are all so emotionally attached to the way we eat or don't eat. Um, We are all emotionally and culturally attached to, no, I'm a meat eater. I like my barbecue. You know, I like my chicken, my fried chicken. These things are part of our culture and we feel attacked when someone says, well, you, you can't have that anymore. So a lot of times what gets left out of the discussion and a whole other discussion is how the medical community deals with this. That's a, another issue because everyone's heard by now that that MDs get virtually zero training in nutrition. The, right. the, the people that you're seeing when you go to the doctor's office, they are brilliant engineers. They know how to use all this equipment They know how to save you if you've been run over by a truck um, or shot. They can quite likely save you. But trying to save you from bad eating is a thing they really don't know how to do, many of them. There are outliers. There are mavericks who are doing this, and we can talk about that more. But, but the person that you're seeing at Kaiser Permanente or Sutter Health or these places quite likely um, has read some bad books on the subject and, right. and is highly influenced by the drug industry.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah.
1: So that's the business they're in, is, is trying to find the right drug for you. And I say the right drug for you is rhubarb or blackberries or lettuce or, or um, salmon sometimes. But um, you can do this in your kitchen and we all have to make a choice sooner or later. How are we going to feed our children, our parents, ourselves? Are we gonna keep feeding them crap that is making them sick? Are we gonna keep feeding ourselves crap that's making us sick? Or are we gonna fix it? Um, so this book was was my attempt to fix it. And if you'll bear with me, I'll tell a little story. Because uh, people say, "Well, how? What made you do this?" What that was
0: actually my next question is like, "What, yeah. what was the turning point for you? What how did was you start the turning
1: this?" Point. And, um, and and I did it in a way for myself. But I was kind of I was halfway doing it, and you know how those projects you push it aside, and you'd think, "Oh, I don't know if I can finish this or not. It's too hard. There's too much research. It's too much." And my youngest daughter is um, a, a health medical a professional. She's uh, a, a nurse practitioner and a hospitalist. And this is the person who checks you into the hospital and helps decide with the team where you will be treated and how you will be treated. And she called me one afternoon as happily, she does a lot of days um, on her way home. And she said, mom I, I treated a guy today who, um, made me think of you and I he has a message for you she said he's a vet uh and about your age and I checked him in and he's having his legs removed and this is never anything you know uh, sometimes you wonder how the medical community deals with these things but she said so I sat with him and talked with him and I said you know my mom's writing a book about this now and and she's i hope she'll finish it but you know she's writing about how it's the book that she wishes she had been handed when she was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes right but, but there were no books like this no so she had to go out and find all these things out herself and so she's working on it and she said he got tears in his eyes and he reached out and held my hands and said please tell your mom to do this finish it do it for me and all the other people like me who didn't have that book, do that book. So that's, this is that book.
0: You know, I mean, it's funny that you say that because I've worked with books for a long time. I worked before I was a librarian, I worked in book sales for major uh, chains and people would come in and say, do you have any books on diabetes, cooking for diabetics? And you always have the one of course, by the American diabetic association, which is well-meaning, but utter crap. And like most of the stuff is like the minute you look at the cover, you're like, I don't want this because right. it it doesn't really, I think, speak to good cooking. It's more of like medicine cooking or punishment cooking kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Deprivation. It has yeah. deprivation written all yeah. over it.
0: Absolutely. Right?
1: Which is why I went with brownies for breakfast because yeah. I really wanted to smack people with, you can have some great food and it's food that you wouldn't have maybe discovered if you were still eating nachos and of the TV every night, Right. Uh, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta put aside a lot of the kind of not great food that you're eating now and go for some really brilliant food that you will be astonished how easy it is to make. There's no, and I, and I'm not, I don't like to measure stuff, you know, I'm not that food scientist that believes that every gram, you know, should be just so, and that you need to put foam on things. I'm a grandma and I want to get her done and put it on the table and have everybody go, oh, this is lovely. Thank you. It's right. (laughs) And, and so you know, the, the foods in, in the book are the things that you go, oh, wait, this I've had this at a church supper. It's deviled eggs, it's uh, coleslaw, it's um, macaroni and cheese. You know, I promise you, you will recognize these foods. But well, when you start looking at the ingredients, you'll go, oh, wait, wait, what? How does she do this? Um but there are some things, uh, one recipe that I can think of that, that I particularly, is, I'm fond of talking about it because I, uh, I sent it to an attorney um, who I had worked with who was kind of fun and made friends. And I said, here, try this. And it's a, it's a mushroom soup. And um, when you think mushroom soup, you think, okay, French and, you know, kind of, or, or, or either that or a can of, you know, Swanson's or somebody's mushroom soup. All it is, is onions in a little bit of, of olive oil or vegan butter and mushrooms. And then a carton of, um, broth. I use, of course, vegetable broth. Right. And then you let it simmer for an hour and then you throw it in the blender and then secret at the end, you put in just a little, little dab of whiskey and you, you make sure that you've salted it a bit. Um, and this attorney wrote me, sent me an email, and said, "You didn't warn me that I was going to eat the whole batch." <laughs> and I and I have to tell you, I didn't feel great when I was done. <laughs> but, um, so that's uh, by way of warning. I mean, you know, I don't mean it to scare you off, but it, this is great food. It's ordinary, lovely, traditional, grandma kind of food. That I promise you, you'll love. And it's food that will save your life or your legs. And we all, I I want everybody to spend at least a few seconds once in a while thinking about how you want to die. Yeah. You know, and and do you want to die after a long illness where people are taking care of you, where you're on dialysis, where you're um, uh, in a bed somewhere, you know, unable to do? I don't want that for you. I want you to be like me. I want you to be mean and uh, fun and uh, still be dancing and hiking and swimming and um, having a blast when you're in your 80s, 90s. I I was talking to someone the other day about their mother, 98. She had to finally get a golf cart um, because right? she she was still playing golf, but she was like, okay, I, I need a little help here. That's what I want for all of us. And it's highly achievable. You know there are there are things we can't change, there are things we can't fix, but this is one that you can change and you can fix it.
0: Well, I mean you're very convincing, especially because you you to me just talking to you just the, the these few minutes and seeing your pictures and getting you know seeing you on other shows or hearing you on other shows, I should say, I you're the you're the to me the picture of vibrancy and like, I mean way more than I am at. at you know, in 56, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're amazing. Like you're a dynamo. So like, I think you're really convincing because you really like, you make me think like, where do I want to be, you know, in 20 years, I don't want to be like, you know, dragging. And like, you know, I looked at the pictures of myself from a few years ago that were in the SF Chronicle. And I was like, I look like I was 78.
1: <laughs> well, first of all, Dean, thank you for the sucking up. I love it. <laughs> I thrive on this stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything you want. Um, I, yes. Uh, if you, if you go out and sit somewhere and just watch American people walking by yeah, and think about it, um, we're a mess, <laughs> you know, the, and this is, I mean, I'm laughing about it, but, um, I, I was a school board member, you know, and I'm very involved in the community and I watch our kids and our, the, the rate of um, obesity in our kids is horrifying. Yeah. And the docs are now uh, finding type two diabetes. They are uh, in, in kids, uh, young kids. It used to be called adult onset diabetes. And it is no longer called that because it is being diagnosed in nine-year-olds, eight-year-olds. And it is the food and lack of activity. Uh, but it's particularly the food because it's addictive, because it's it's not uh, nutritionally sound, and because it, it creates nothing but obesity in the kids. Um, and it's you know, there's, there's cultural stuff all mixed into this. Um, my heart so goes out to moms and dads these days trying to deal with, and I raised three kids largely on my own. I was a single mom for many years, uh, until I married my perfect husband that I mentioned to you earlier. Um, and he's still perfect and still my husband. Uh, I'm happy to say, um, but it's, it's become so difficult to raise children in a climate where they go to Mandarin, they go to baseball, they go, you know, they're going to different schools at different times, they go early, but there's no bus. That, that it, you know. And so the family gets caught up in this maelstrom of getting everybody what they need. And so guess what they never get that they really need? Nutrition food. Yeah. Um, and and I, I like to talk to parents about the need to involve kids in their food. You know, I had, I had to have my kids involved because I needed them. You now, come on, troop, let's go. Let's do this. Let's do that because I needed their help. So from the time they were literally two, three years old, they were clearing the table, putting stuff in the dishwasher. <clears throat> they were doing the grocery shopping with me. Um, which was not a pretty picture, always.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know I know what that's like, yeah.
1: <laughs> right, but I, I taught them very early, uh, and this is a way to get through the grocery stores. They all had assignments. They they had to find certain things, you know, and bring them back to the cart. But they learned really early that, that you'd never bought anything in a box or a bag without reading the label. And so even my little tiny ones, just first learning to read, we're saying, what does this mean? How do you spell? It? What is that? What they understood that they needed to know what they were eating. That's a basic thing that kids need to know. And then the other thing that I'm sure lots of parents have discovered, but everybody needs to know: if a kid has cooked it, they'll eat it. If they've prepared it, they will eat it. And so I don't want to hear all this stuff about fussy eaters and they want this and they want that. If your kid is part of meal prep, your kid will be part of a good dinner table landscape. Um, and then nobody, you know, why should why should one or two parents be slaves? Is you are not your kid's servant; you are your kid's teacher. Yeah, so, yeah. what My are turn. you teaching when you are waiting on your kid's hand and foot? because they have to run off to Mandarin or they have to run off to martial arts or whatever they're doing. I'm sorry, Um, some basic household courtesies and culture should come first, shouldn't they? Absolutely. I mean, I I think I'm sounding kind of like a granny right now, (laughs) but I see see this as a need now, a, a huge need in younger families.
0: Well, most, I think in mo- most families in America, the kids don't even really, I think I've seen more and more families that don't even eat at the dinner table anymore, no. or eat any meals at all together. And like no. the kids are eating their bedrooms in front of their computer. Yes. It's yes. it's a crime because- what be are there. you
1: teaching with that? What are you teaching? And, and I, I met up with a cousin the other day and we caught up about a lot of things. And she told me about this younger cousin who'd married a guy who had never used- who didn't know how to use utensils okay is this a thing is this is this a thing happening out there
0: it is absolutely i i my kids had never seen uh salad forks before soup spoons they'd never seen a lot of utensils and i think that's normal now they think in fact i think a lot of them don't even use forks and knives because they always eat chicken nuggets or things with their fingers all the time
1: okay, we got to fix this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Don't we? Yeah, we do. It, it, is, it does fall upon us. I mean, if, if not us, who?
1: If not us, who? And and of course, I always saw my job as a parent preparing my children to go out in the world yeah, and, and preparing them to be independent. And they actually all became independent very young. Um, they went to college early. And it didn't occur to me that... They would not know how to sit at a table with adults when they left home. And I'm wondering about all the uh, these kids are supposedly going to go away into jobs, into colleges, into how will it be if they have no idea? How, I, I mean, I'm like, oh,
0: my God. Um, We're handicapping our kids if we don't prepare them. It's, it's like I've said, this this is not the same as what you're talking about, but it's a good analogy. I tell my boys, you know, shine your shoes, learn to tie a tie. You may think it's a small detail, but it'll change your life.
1: It will. And I mean, what what is the purpose of going out and studying Mandarin or martial arts or whatever if you'll be sent out to your college unable to sit with your instructors at a table and not be embarrassed?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I mean, if... It, um, this as we're talking about it i'm thinking oh this just must sound and okay here's the irony i did actually grow up in pasadena (laughs) so i am that old lady from pasadena i'll (laughs) I'll cop to that um but you know so much a part of my growing up was learning how to be in a home with other people how to enter a home with people how to shake a hand how to how to go to a function a, a party a um something in town are we not preparing our children at all to be out in the world
0: um we're not i mean just the dinner table analogy the kids sit around the dinner table they don't really know how to talk to each other and my kids are getting better at that but i think there was definitely a period where we're all just staring at each other and not we it'd be easier if we were tweeting you know on twitter you know
1: and I, a, a friend, a young friend of mine brought a, a game to our house that's a, a card game with questions on it. Do you know about this? Yeah. I, okay. And it was a blast. We, we played it, but I realized that this could be a tool for, fa- I guess I didn't understand that families were bereft. They didn't, they were unable to have conversations without some kind of help this way.
0: So it's um, totally true. Totally true.
1: And again, how can you go to college and not know how to converse? No, like-
0: I, work with, I work with college students and these kids come here and they don't really know what to do. They're kind of lost. And I mean, they're not all like that, but there's a few that you see that are really not equipped to handle society. Yeah. They can yeah. talk on their computer or they can do everything on the computer, but they can't have face-to-face. They can't right. You know, survive.
1: Right. And this young friend also made a, a point to me that at my house, it's, it's very, I mean, I've always had cloth napkins on the table, always, every yeah. day of our lives. Um, and, and I, to me, it's a bit of a ritual to wash them and to straighten yeah. them and to bring them back to the table clean and lay them out for people. I like the way they look. I like the way they feel. Um, I like what they bring to a meal. And it never occurred to me that that would appear elitist and fancy to a lot of people. That that the idea of that would be foreign,
2: yeah. would
1: seem ex- exclusive. Like, you know, this was a thing, some sort of ritual, strange ritual of affluent people or something. Um, and and I, I thought, oh my word, <laughs> okay, I am, I am behind the times here on this um I, there is so much about the ritual of eating that is not just food uh, um that is courtesy and respect and dignity and um camaraderie and community and all these things that happen at the table A- and they happen when you're cooking um and I guess because I am as old as I am, I'm a, I'm a bit losing touch with what it feels like to be in a community now where this just doesn't happen. It is are you saying that there that that it's not happening out there in the world?
0: I think that as many parents, so from my perspective, before I even got married, I was working two jobs seven days a week, and I didn't even always see my son. My son often ate alone as an only child, he would often have his dinner by himself at night, I wouldn't get home till oftentimes 10 o'clock at night. You know. maybe later, he would even go to bed without, you know, seeing me, we would go days without seeing each other, because he was a teenager and in high school. And I I was a single parent, and I had to have two jobs. And I think this is increasingly common, or kids are raised by their grandparents, and right. they're indulged in giving what they want. Usually, it's it's Mm, chicken McNuggets because nobody has the what?
1: energy or the time to right. think tired. it through, change it, fix it. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, and uh, you know, I it's hard for for me to understand in a way because I was I was homeless. I was that single parent. I yeah. I left a scary, abusive situation when my kids were two, three, and four. Oh my God. Um, I hear that so
0: often. That's horrible.
1: Yeah. My first husband was one of those guys, those vets who came home from Vietnam and uh, he was a Marine and he changed his clothes on the plane. And when I met him, not long after that, he was in a three piece suit and he was a banker and that was all in the past. Well, no, it's, and it's a word that is interesting to me. Now I'm it, he is, among the many people who had such a horrible moral injury in his service, uh, he he went as a young man and you know was given the drugs and the beer and the weapons and so on. Yeah, and, and came home gravely, morally injured, and never recovered. And like so many vets, and a lot of people don't know this, way more of these vets have died by their own hand as suicides, then died in combat. Um, And he was one who eventually took his own life.
0: Uh, Sorry, that's awful.
1: It it is awful. Uh, And I knew that was where he was headed. I I mean, here I was, I had three little kids and um, I was on a little farm in North Carolina and uh, doing my best just to keep our little ship afloat and keep the animals fed and the kids and everything. And I could see him unraveling every day just coming unglued, but I, I, but I didn't understand it. I was naive I had never dealt with alcoholism I had never dealt with this kind of of um, mental illness. And here he was this tall good looking you know great family guy college graduate and he had a wife and he had kids and he was falling apart in front of my eyes. Mm -hmm. And so to save myself and save my children, um, I lied and, you know, did what I could. And we packed our little bags and we got on a train in North Carolina and we came west to my sister's house. No money, no job, no nothing, you know, whatever. So I do on some level at least get what that's like. I do get what that's like. Um, my, my whole purpose for living then was keeping them alive, keeping myself alive. Um, And it went on for years. He stalked me, tracked me, was arrested in prison, weapons, you know, all that stuff on page six of the newspaper, somebody else's family, somebody else's name, you know, and you don't, um, but I've been there And, and, and I know what that feels like in at least this one instance. But the thing that I never let go of, you know, now that we're talking about it, I guess the thing that I thought was going to keep us glued together and on our feet was putting good food on the table and sitting with my children when we ate. They So they always knew they had me. I was there for them. And my sister was there for them and her husband. I didn't ever want them to think that they would lose me too. And so the food became part of that ritual. And, and I, and I think you can't talk about food, just as you and I are talking now, Dean, you know, it's part of our DNA. It's, it's, it's the way we love. It's the way we care. Absolutely. And, and so I'm hoping to help, you and maybe some others kind of rediscover what this means in your own life and and how it can be not a chore and not deprivation and not an icky thing but how it can bring beauty to your life and and laughter and good feelings and um you know good food yum health foods.
0: well you know and we talk about too like you, you mentioned like the idea, like I know one day I'll have, I don't have grandchildren right now, but one day I will. So I want to pass down to not only my kids, but you know, you want to be the grandparent who's passing down some sort of wisdom. And I think teaching like the kids and the grandkids how to eat well and healthy is, is a good, it's a good mentoring and it's good, it's good, you know, stewardship. It's huge.
1: And I dedicate this book, Brownies for Breakfast, to my granddaughter, Helen.
0: Oh, um, that's nice. That's wonderful. Yeah.
1: And she she is a huge part of why. I write. My kids would always say to me, Ma, you got to write this stuff down. You have to write it down, you know, so that she'll know. And, and so she she can pass it on. Um, and, she, and as you and I talk, she's 14. So that's an age where it's like, you know, she doesn't want to hear anything. But she's hearing. She's listening. Um, I know she is. Um, and then I have a new grandson who oh
0: that's right that's right congratulations
1: six weeks old his his name is wolf erickson
0: that's a great Um, name
1: thank you i think it's a great name for him and he you know what a miracle um these kids arrive totally who they are it's like oh it's you you know (laughs) they're not just some baby some blank slate he's wolf and um and believe me he plays the part i mean he looks at you, and you know you've been looked at, you yeah. know, uh, by Mr. Wolf. But his mother, my uh, youngest daughter that I mentioned earlier, who who uh, was treating the vet who came in to have his legs operated on, um, she just had her first baby at the age of forty three, and she is a cancer survivor.
2: Oh my God!
1: And she's doing great. She's doing great, and she had this perfect baby. And she had this brilliant team of docs, women, all women. So you can imagine what that's like for me, old back here um, to see, well, I mean, I say that in a loving, caring way, um, I'm wearing it proudly, but you know, in my day it was, it was all men. And so I've seen this transition to uh, maternal care being now in the hands so often, some lovely men too, but these women and she had lactation consultants, you know, people helping her back in the day when my first was born in 75, started, you know, here, here's your baby lady. Here you go. Um, good luck.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: It was, and, I mean, it was,
0: I, I remember it wasn't too long ago. That it was like that still. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Totally alone. Just so alone. So now there is this understanding in maternal health that you can't be alone. This is not a thing we should do alone just like you shouldn't eat alone i don't want you eating in your car alone i know you do (laughs) all y'all out there i know um and i have been known to do it too i know what it feels like but that's not what i want for you and and that's that's not what i want for your kids your family or your legacy so uh mr wolf now six weeks old is um is eating well Uh, nursing beautifully and he's going to be fine, but I hope yes, he grows up knowing that he is surrounded by people who want him nourished in every good way.
0: Now, I wanted to ask you, what do you think would be a good first step for somebody who wants to start on the road to healthy eating? What's like a first thing?
1: Buying my book, getting my book. Yeah,
0: That's a good, no, it's a good way to go.
1: That's it right there. Um, yeah, and yes, and I get asked this question, uh, and so many people struggle with the idea. The, the The word is out there. People know that they need to quit sugar. Yeah. Um, yes, you do need to quit sugar, and it's like any other drug. I'm sorry, you can't have just a little. You really need to quit sugar. And um, have I ever cheated? Yeah, of course, I'm human. Um, But what happens is your your body chemistry will change. Your saliva changes chemically and you will stop craving it. And that sugar is doing such enormous damage to your body. If you could see some sort of little animation of what happens when you eat the sugar that is in all the processed food that you eat, Read any label on anything in your cupboard, and it will have sugar in one, two, three, four forms.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, So it's, but you can't see it. You can't see what it's doing until you get your legs cut off.
0: Yeah. Have you seen the infographics that show the amount of sugar in ordinary items? Because you said, like, people are like, oh, I'm just going to have a little sugar. But when they show all the... pictures of the items and then next to it is how many spoons or cups of sugar in them that's i think the thing that slaps you upside the head because then you're like holy crap you
1: you know people know that sodas have sugar and candy bars but but the worst sugar is the sugar that you're eating every day thinking you're eating healthy foods right because it's it's in there and another thing that i think is important to talk about is dentists i'm having lots of conversations with dentists right? And dentists now are finding that they are overwhelmed with patients coming in with their teeth rotting out from drinking frappuccinos from mm-hmm. Starbucks. Yep. You're they're walking around all day with this sugar bomb and the sugar is against their teeth. Did I just see you drink something? There?
0: It's coffee. With okay. black, it's black, black coffee.
1: coffee. Okay. Okay. Um, that's good. And you're know, nothing wrong with coffee. Coffee is a great drug
0: brilliant yeah yeah i've had to cut back on it though my doctor's like yeah one a day that's it
1: (laughs) within reason but yes black but so people are holding these drinks against their gums and teeth all day they're sucking on these things all day and they are rotting their teeth out now these are affluent people who had good dental care their whole lives and so on suddenly going in and their hygienist is going i'm sorry honey but you know you're in trouble here because you've been drinking sugar, not coffee, sugar.
0: They're really, really sweet. My wife or uh, people like my, uh, my daughter, they'll drink them and I'll, they'll go, you wanna sip? And I'll just take a little sip. And it's like, I immediately yeah. I wanna throw up Ew. because it's so, I think there's at least a minimum a minimum of one to two cups of sugar in each one of them. I mean, that's, they're so sweet. It's like being punched in the face by a bag of sugar.
1: Right. And, and then they do the promotion for the pumpkin spice, you know, so that's even more sugar. Um, But so if you, if you're going to do one thing, one thing that changes your whole life this way, quit sugar. And then you're going to, the next thing you're going to say to me is, well, then, so what do I get my book, (laughs) but but there are lots of great sugar substitutes out now that are fairly new. They're healthy. They're not just some random chemical that, you know, is going to be bad next week. They're not a fad. Um, They are quite natural. Chicory root is one. Yes. Monk fruit is one. Um, And the, they don't leave an aftertaste. They don't give you a, a gastric response for us. Diabetics. They don't spike our blood sugar, nothing. They're great. And so with those, you have the power to make all kinds of brilliant foods without sugar. And, and you also then will change your body chemistry so that your saliva changes. So you no longer crave these um, uh, addictive and sugar. And, and I don't use the word in a, in a my, I mean, it is truly an addictive thing, uh, substance. Uh, it is the, the research. Look it up. It's all out there. It's more addictive than heroin.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it is
1: extremely addictive.
0: Take a kid's little sugar away for a day and you'll see him climb the walls like a heroin addict. Yeah. It's not. Fun. And we all,
1: Yeah, no. And we joke about it. You think it's funny. Yeah,
2: It's
0: um,
1: not. It's not. Uh, so uh, and, you know, here's another little sort of quasi political thing. But what you're doing when you eat better, when you quit sugar, when you, the second thing, by the way, very shocking, quit dairy, stop, no dairy. Um, When you do those things, you are saving the earth in a way too, because you are not contributing to the abuse that goes on in the dairy industry, in the factory farming, pork and meat industry, um in the sugar farming industry uh, when you eat healthy you're yes it's true helping to create a healthier world yes small each of us contributing in a really small way but that's a thing that you can do with your dollars with your kitchen with your kids uh to help the world a little bit um and it is being felt and it will be felt more uh, the more we do it. Uh, the more we stop buying the crap that is being, putting the pollution out into the rivers in North Carolina and places you know, here too in California. Um, if you've ever driven by Coalinga, California and yeah. you know, watched what happens to those poor cattle. Um, and I'm not saying that you need to, absolutely quit eating animal products. That's, that's a choice that you can make. But if you are eating beef or pork or chicken, for Pete's sake, make sure that that beef and pork and chicken is being raised in a healthy way because you eat what they eat. If they've had antibiotics, guess what? It's going in your body as well as wrecking a lot of other little ecosystems. So if you are going to eat beef or have any kind of a dairy product, and at this point, it's very, very, very hard to get any kind of a dairy product that is clean. Um, It just doesn't, it's not available uh, for the most part, but there is truly pasture raised beef that you can buy near you somewhere um, and you can probably get chick eggs and chicken from a neighbor, you know, a few miles away from a farmer's market, from a CSA, something. And, and those eggs that come from those chickens, happy chickens, um, are a different food than the eggs that you buy at Safeway. Yeah.
0: They're,
1: they're totally different. Uh, so it's the quality of what you're eating in every case
0: that, yeah. you're I was thinking too, like what you just said, because like, if you had said this 30 years ago, I think I would have balked because I'd be like, well, what choices do I have optionally? Right. But now, I mean, my God, just the alternatives to dairy are almost outnumbering the dairy products and the yes. alternatives to meat are yes. outnumbering the meat now. And yes. all this stuff is possible. And like you said, too, with local sources in my area, I have so many local produce, local meat vendors, like local... And they're good. Yeah, local eggs, I can get everything with a carbon footprint of almost nothing, you know? Yes.
1: And there's a company uh, called Kite Hill. Uh, I think, are they in Emeryville or someplace not too far from you?
0: Yeah, that sounds familiar.
1: Uh, mm -hmm. And they are an example of a company making a butter substitute. Oh, that I have tasted butter that I churned myself that just came out of the cow. And but I bet you haven't (laughs) because most people never get to do that. Um, And this artificial, quote, unquote, butter, the vegan butter tastes like that. It's way better than the butter that you're buying in the grocery store that says butter because it doesn't have the dye in it. And it doesn't you know, it's it's a better product. And yes, it has some, well, I think it's cashew and I forget what else is in it. Uh, And I invite you to explore yourself. That's not the only brand. But when people say, yeah, yeah, artificial, it's better than the butter that you buy in the store. It's fresher and it tastes fresher. So I I invite you, please explore what some of those things are. Don't just dismiss the idea. Um, and yes, I eat beyond burger kind of stuff and uh, impossible burger. Don't eat a ton of it, but once in a while I get a yen for something that tastes kind of Mm hamburger-ish. And so I have a lot of recipes that I do with those things and I, and they're handy to have in the freezer and so on. I'm not a total purist about this, um, but stop eating sugar of any kind. Stop right now. And if you possibly can see your way clear, I would highly encourage you to stop eating dairy of any kind. You will notice, first of all, right away, your nose stops running. Your kids' noses stop running. Your digestive problems may go away immediately, whatever they are, mild or severe. Um, Dairy is responsible for a huge amount of illness and discomfort in our everyday uh, population eating it's and people it's been so much a part of our culture right we grew up milk you know got milk billions of dollars were spent trying to convince us that it was the superfood that it was the perfect food
0: i feel like milk was enforced when i was a kid it was it wasn't a choice you had to drink it it's
1: not in fact you know that they've really connected type one diabetes to kids having um, dairy, milk as young children. Um, There's a big connection there. I'm not gonna say that it's been totally proven and I'm not gonna present the information here, but you can go out and look it up yourself. Uh, It's not hard to find. Um, But so if, if you're gonna do one thing, make it sugar, Two things: sugar, dairy, and then um, and then take it from there. And get my book <laughs> right now. Or I'm becoming more and more frank, actually, with people about yeah, you have a choice to make. Yeah. You have a choice here. You know, okay. you continue to do this like you've done it, or you can be healthy.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you're you and I are talking at a. I feel like you've been kind of dropped into my lap by the gods because um. I have. Because, yeah, because because I so okay. I'm going to flash back to a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, my wife and I are both smoking. (laughs) I'm um, drinking like probably up to like a bottle of wine or or three or four scotches per day, (gasps) eating fast food all the time, living off of basically sugar and like all these bad things. So two years ago, that's where we were a year ago start of the pandemic all this i mean a year into the pandemic i'm feeling like crap really bad and i and i'm like thinking i'm i'm 56 i'm going to be i'm now 56 but at the time i was turning 56 i'm like this can't hold and my wife's you not feeling lucky. good either
1: you are alive
0: yeah yeah you're, you you're right really you're right lucky. you're alive yeah. and i'm like feeling so bad no energy and i see you now you're so vibrant and like you're just like a life force. And I was like the opposite. I was like negative. So I'm like, first thing, uh, two years ago, I quit smoking. A year ago though, I'm like, I got to do something. So I started changing my diet. I mean, I'm not saying I'm anywhere great now. I'm, I'm still need to be better, but like, at least I'm like looking at things and, and considering stuff and reading up on it. And instead of like eating like a breakfast burrito every morning, I'm having some oatmeal and some fruit you know, and I'm not drinking as much coffee. I've cut way back on caffeine. I haven't had it. Like I've cut down on alcohol to the point where I haven't had anything to drink in over a month.
1: I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, Okay. Will you be my patient?
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs)
1: Um, Because uh, so far, you know, I have a few Guinea pigs out there in the world. I am my main Guinea pig. My husband has been fabulous about all this. I mean, he's been so patient Um, I I found the right guy, right? And um, I tell this story uh, sometimes when I'm interviewed about going to this conference in Oakland where um, I took sort of a promotional piece about my book because I wanted to find out what these MDs would think. You know, how do they receive this? And would they use something like this? And so I spent five days watching PowerPoint presentations about stuff that I thought I knew something about because I've been writing about it and reading about it and so on. But these guys, this was the Plantricians Conference, MDs from all over the world. I don't know if I talked to Ray Sean about this or not. Um, and I don't think so. What we've always been told about uh, diabetes is that you limit your carbs and you limit your calories and you keep your weight down. Yeah. And um, it turns out that that is sort of partially true but what was totally left out of that message was animal fat is the big culprit Mm -hmm. that's the thing that gets between your cells and the glucose uptake so um and i'm going to cut this short because i know you don't have all day but so i get in that my husband comes to pick me up in oakland downtown oakland and uh, near you and which by the way i loved Downtown Oakland was cool. No, I love
0: Oakland. Yeah. Oakland's great. great.
1: Um, So I get in the car and said, Guess what? Yeah. Thing every husband never wants to hear. (laughs) Yeah. Guess what, honey? Um, What? I said, I'm vegan now. And he said, Oh, a little silence. And he said, Okay, I'm in. Um, True love. Uh, So for six months, I did an experiment on myself having always been steak, pork chops, meat. I loved it all. Yeah. Uh, my weight was fine, you know, and my numbers were not bad at all. Um, but I thought, okay, I just have my numbers done. I am going to, for six months, I am not going to eat one single animal, anything. And guess what? My hemoglobin A1C came down. My weight came down. My husband started coming in going, look at my belly is shrinking. It's like, wow. We did not limit what we ate. I mean, we pigged out on whatever we were eating, but we just didn't eat dairy and meat. Now we've changed that a bit. We eat some salmon, we eat some shrimp, but basically we've stayed with it because Dean we feel fabulous. I mean, we get, t- I'm 75. I get tired. You know, I do. I need good sleep. I talk about it in the book. I want you to have this book right now. I wish I could just beam it to you.
0: I'm going to be getting it next week. So I'll have it soon. Okay.
1: All right. Because I talk about sleep and how you can't separate the si- movement and sleep and food. It's all the same. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm so happy that you dropped smoking. I was a smoker back in the day, um, too. I get it. So I'm not going to be judgy about it. But holy shit, if there's one thing you can do to save your life, that's that thing. Number one.
2: Yeah, two, absolutely.
1: The alcohol. I love my wine. I love a cocktail. I'm not going to be judgy about that. But we are talking about either none or once a week, yeah. make it a Friday night thing or a Saturday night thing, but it needs to not be part of your habit. It needs to not be a habit.
0: Absolutely. I feel so different than when I was drinking every day. And even when I'd cut back, I was drinking every day, like half a bottle a day that for me was cutting back. And even then, so I had, it was an experiment for me. And honestly, I think Even though I know you didn't talk about alcohol when you're talking about Rayshawn, just hearing you talk about that made me think about like, what can I do to experiment and do things differently? And cutting alcohol out completely for a month has made such a difference in my health and energy levels.
1: Yes. And if you could see what was going on in your brain, um, you would never do it again. Yeah, Uh, And a a thing that I've started saying to people informally is, and and I'll talk about it maybe on the broadcast, we'll see, but, you know, we all visualize our deaths, whether we think we're visualizing our deaths or not, we all have a concept of how we're going to die. And every man, especially that I know, thinks he's going to go off a cliff somewhere, he's going to fall out of an airplane, he's going to fall over one day in battle, you know, he's going to just drop.
0: I am right.
1: you that. That is not how it happens. You are setting yourself up to be an invalid for a long time.
2: Yeah. You will
1: be on dialysis. You will be on insulin. You will have to, you will have no, uh, erectile function. You will ha- lose the, the use of your legs and hands. Um, and nobody wants to think about that.
0: No. No
1: Right. But the medical community will come in and keep giving you the drugs and keep you alive. You could live like that for decades and people are living like that for decades. And guess what else that does to you? I mean, I don't know if you thought about this or not, but it totally decimates you financially as well. Right. So you are not only drinking away your good health, but you are drinking away every dime you've ever had and more. Yeah. So I'm it's cashing
0: checks. I can't pay when I'm older.
1: Yes. It's so it's the alcohol. It's the cigarettes. You already know that, but it's also that food that you're eating
2: Yeah. Um,
1: and, and the fact that you're driving through because every bite of the crap that you're eating takes the place of actual nutrition. So you are not nourishing yourself. You're just eating crap.
0: And I think it's like Being on drugs because I think if you're a drug addict, you're you're taking drugs. You know it's bad for you, but you're doing it because you have this symbiotic need for it. And I think that fast food can do that too. I think all the crap that we eat—candy, fast food, all this stuff—I think it is like, in a way, like being on a severe drug.
1: You do know that it is truly addictive. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and I know I talk about that. I talk about the, the, all the research about uh, addiction and food and, and sugar uh, is a big one. Most addictive food, prepared food that you can eat is pizza. Guess what everybody eats every day? Pizza and sugar. And yes, it is addictive and it's doing, <clears throat> sorry, my morning voice. It's doing all those things to your brain that the drugs do exactly the same thing but we yeah. think because it's food it's okay and it is absolutely not okay
2: and no, people, no. you know
1: people spend much more time thinking about their their cocker spaniel and what he's eating and how right. he's doing they understand that they can't feed little you know pookie the dog bad crap and have the dog be okay but they somehow don't ever make the connection that they are absolutely unconsciously putting junk down their throat.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think also like, I know that when I'm feeling bad about myself and I have some level of like imposter syndrome or self-hatred, I definitely go for the fast food and stuff like that.
1: And, uh, uh, oh, here's another thing that I love to talk about and I've got some feedback from people going, wow, I didn't know that that there is a whole industry that is about craveability. Right. That's the word, you know about that.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, And many people don't, they don't understand that these foods are actually engineered to kill them
0: virtually. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And and so the thing that you're gonna find because you're gonna start doing this now, you're gonna find that when you eat whole food, plant-based foods particularly, um, you get full. Yeah, and, and my book has recipes for donuts and you know brownies and all these things. And I wanna hear from you because I, t- after you've eaten two of these donuts, you'll go, okay, I'm good. You can't eat five donuts. You can't eat four donuts because they are nutrient dense. And your body goes, oh, all right, I've eaten. Whereas you are so accustomed to eating food that is designed not to fill you up.
0: Yeah. Cause they want you to buy more Yes, <laughs> or just the, the portions in these places are so ridiculous. I always like, am so disgusted by some of the chains and the the size of the food they push on you. It's disgusting. Yes.
1: And nobody takes it home. Yeah. They eat it. In fact, I have a, a page um, in the book where I talk about uh, takeout and because I eat takeout, but I get the burrito from my local taqueria, which yeah. is excellent here at the coast. I cut it in half. I ask them for no rice and then I put them, I put it on a plate with some beautiful purple cabbage and some of my red pepper soup. And so it's a good meal. Yeah. Like but,
2: that.
1: but you got to think about that stuff. You know, you you can't, ju- and I, the book talks a lot about reading labels and what's on the labels and what's not and what's really true. But that's, it's all good material, Dean, for, you know, for talking and um, broadcasting, but I can't wait for you to read it and tell me what you think. And I want you doing it. Oh, I absolutely
0: it. will. No, I will. I, I will, and I definitely want to like talk to you about my experiences and stuff. I'm also really interested, And, um, see, I'm a, so I'm a food nerd and I like the idea of how certain substances work in baking and cooking. Yeah. So I'm really eager to see like how some of your recipes work with the different sweeteners with the different agents for cooking. So it it changes the nature of them. Like, I think I saw a copy of your brownie recipe for the breakfast brownie and how you use like oat flour, I think, and different things like that.
1: No, Did you sign up for my list?
0: I, I think, no, I don't think I did yet.
1: Okay, go on um, my website. It's just lynnbowman.com and sign up for my list if you wouldn't mind, and I will send you recipes Okay, um, right away. I think one goes out immediately. Um, what you're going to see is that a lot of my sweets are made of nut butter and pumpkin. Oh, nice. Um, which no one understands that that's, it's a magic genius combination that eliminates the need for oils because nut butter is an oil of course and the pumpkin acts like a flower but better
0: I just um, filled my freezer with uh, about eight bags of portioned roasted pumpkin
1: you are set um, and rhubarb because, lots of rhubarb Oh you're set and I have a I have a whole thing on rhubarb um, which is when I, I call it celery and drag yeah um, yeah 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 um, I
0: grow that I grow my own.
1: And it's free, right? Yeah. yeah. You just go out and it just it grows whether you want it to or not. Oh yeah. Does fine. And 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 I love talking about that. It's like I've got a yard full of blackberries, which is the most magnificent food you can eat. It's the it's the most nutritious, it's the most delicious, it's just everything. And you all you have to do is you know, roll your sleeves up because you're gonna get scratched, and go out and pull it off the bush.
0: Yeah, we lived in Napa. Napa is lousy with blackberries. Yes. And we would just go and pick all through. I would get like up to like eight quarts of of summer.
1: Yes, countrywide. I think it grows in lots of different varieties in different places. But what I want people to think about is this literally is the plenty of the land of the world that you are pooping on, that you are turning your back on, paying no attention to and driving through to buy expensive garbage to feed your children and yourself. Um, You are already on such a good path and I am excited about where you're going.
0: I feel like I still have a lot, I'm the beginning though. I feel like I'm at the beginning and I still have a long way to go
1: and i if you will be a tester for me also i love it when people give me because a lot of this stuff is new like the the um sugar substitutes first i could get monk fruit beautiful big bags of it and so on then i couldn't get it anymore because people were putting erythritol in it and the, because of this company so I, I, it's navigating the industry that is trying to keep up with the demand for better foods and sugar-free is maybe the last frontier of healthy food because nobody wanted to talk about it it it, nobody wanted to you know no thanks you know you mean the stuff in the little no i can't do sugar-free i'll just keep my sugar thanks um so it's changing uh every day and um it's something that a guy like you, a librarian, you know, you can help me keep up with this industry. I would
0: love to be a test person for you. That would be, I would be Great. honored. That would be, And it's so fun. That's something I really, really enjoy. So that would be like, you know, a bonus for Great. me. I would love that.
1: Great. Okay, super. You're a man who likes to cook.
0: So I was going to ask you too, um, for just for like, also just outside of diet for health and energy and stuff. What about for like living longer and for beauty and energy and things like that?
1: What about it? What do you think? Getting the book. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Um, if you are well, if you are not sick because of the crap you're eating, you're going to live longer. Um, All the research, again, research, research, but, you know, I I like to think that what I'm doing is quite science-based, as best I could do. I am not a scientist, but I have relied on the best science I could find, and the scientists in my circle saying, this better be solid science. Okay, yes, yes, it is. Um, If you look at blue zones, longevity, if you look at all the studies that have been done on how and why people live longer. It's all the same thing, Dean. It's good nourishing food. It's, it's um, a, a certain amount of movement every day. It's, it's not people going to the gym. It's people walking up the hill or walking on the beach or walking their dog or
2: right.
1: you know, normal activity as part of a normal day. So activity. And then the foods, the, the quote Mediterranean diet, um, which some version or other, um, the the um, a diet that they eat or ate used to eat in Guam. There's certain other these what they call blue zones of, of longevity. Uh, it's it's the omegas that you get in fish, it's nuts, uh, and plant based foods, green growing fruit, real live food. Uh, and it, it doesn't have to be any one prescription, it's just whole food, plant-based. That's basically it. Um, and um, real food, uh, as, as much as you possibly can, is the ticket. Um, and that sounds so simple, doesn't it? But so difficult at first to implement because we've been going the other direction for long enough now that people don't even know what a real food is when they see it. Um,
0: yeah, so, I mean, when I was a kid, we had Tang of yes. breakfast drink.
1: Yes, we and had it was a
0: cereal that was not even food. like food yeah. The yeah. cereal we ate as a child. I, I cringe to think of it because it was so full of food dye. I think it had more food dye than food. <laughs>
1: absolutely. and And our mothers, my mother, um, was so thrilled to have a supermarket down the street. That was kind of a new thing. yeah. Uh, and so she could go into the supermarket and get anything and come home. and um, and I used to come home from school and make cakes out of the boxed mixes. Yep. because I could, you know, right? Yeah. And then ate it, right? Because I could. Um, so yeah, i'm I'm part of that same era. Um, but I have no intention of letting go at this point. I hope we can have a conversation 10 years from now or 20 years from now, Me too. if you like, and if I like, and we're still laughing about all of it. Um, I see no reason why. And the research sees no reason why people can't live into their nineties and more than a hundred. Now we're seeing, I have so many friends my age, 60s, 70s, 80s, who have parents and family members who are in their 90s or over 100. Uh, A few of them are doing okay, but more likely they're still alive. But they're not really. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah, it's common now.
1: It is so common now and it's, it's difficult for all of us to understand what to do. It's like they're draining family resources to keep them comfortable and alive, but they're not really being cared for well, or they're not happy, whatever. We don't know how to deal with really old age. Right. But I can guarantee that one way I wanna deal with it is when I get there, I want to be the one that can escape, that I can run away if I need to, that I can play games, that I can sing with my great grandchildren, that um, I can still be making trouble uh, all around. Um, I don't want to be the one who is no longer able to participate. And I am absolutely convinced that it is almost entirely
0: up to you. I agree. I wanted to ask you one last thing because I'd seen this in the book. Um, we had talked about, um, you, We had, I think you had touched on, not only does this affect the human body, but it also affects our ecosystem and our, yes. our world. So what about that? What can you tell us about that?
1: Well, we've already touched on it a little bit. Um, I, I think that the more we understand Really, where our food comes from, we understand that we have a responsibility to not contribute to a system that is damaging all of our health by its pollution, by its disregard of community. Um, You know, and and the the food industry um, today is essentially a chemical industry. Uh, but yeah. the, 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 you know, just one small example is the pollution that is running out of the hog farms in, and chicken farms. Oh in yeah. North Carolina is one state I can think of. Cause I've lived there and I have folks there and, and I know what that looks like. And if you get an aerial view,
0: I was going to mention that. Yeah.
1: You can see the pollution rolling out of those farms down to the ocean. That's poison.
0: Yeah. It's and that doesn't go away. Like when we stop no. that, it's still going to be there.
1: And it's rolling into the ocean where it is poisoning the fish.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh,
1: it's the toxic shelter.
0: waste. It's, it's toxic waste.
1: Toxic waste. waste. Exactly. So uh, how can we not think of that as our responsibility as citizens to fix? Um, yeah. People need to not be getting wealthy, putting poisons in the river that all of us need to deal with. Uh, That seems so evident, so simple to me. Um, How is it that we have been so, we worship wealth in this country. We worship celebrity and wealth. Yeah, And that distracts us completely from thinking about where the wealth comes from who exactly is getting wealthy how is that okay um and who who is supporting the celebrities and why and and um and then now we're in this new era of broadcasting and podcasting and um one of the things dean that i love about what you and i are doing that has just occurred to me recently is there's no one telling us what to say.
0: Right, exactly.
1: We get to say what our truth. And you can't say that about anyone who is doing any kind of a network broadcast. Right. The nature of that beast, they have to say what their sponsors agree to, what their boss agrees to, what the guy who owns the station agrees to, all of that. And now, at least temporarily, it could end, but you and I have these tools, along with our friends, um, where we can speak our truth.
2: Absolutely. To each
1: other and to people who want to listen. And, and we, we allow ourselves to be challenged, of course. You want to argue with me, you want to disagree? Great, okay. But we are not here saying what anyone has instructed us to say. Right. We're speaking our truth. Uh,
0: yeah, I love that about this. I don't have to like have somebody breathing down my neck telling me who to have on my show. I can have whoever I want. No, it's or nice. What the
1: limits are, right? Yeah, I like that. And that's new. That's yeah. very new. Uh, and just like we said at the beginning, and I, I figure that if I've said it, I have to be responsible for it. I can't go, oh no, I didn't mean that. You know, no, erase that, edit that out. No. Um, I have, to, I have to accept the consequences of whatever I've opened my, my mouth up and said. Um, but I think this is a new ball game in a way that that we have these amazing tools and we have no one telling us how to use them.
0: I like that. No, it's, I really haven't thought about it till you just said it, but yeah, that's it's, it is really nice to kind of just you know, have who I want on the show. Yeah. And I've been so blessed having such great guests and everybody's been so generous and wonderful. And it's it's I needed it because it's renewed my faith in America and my fellow Americans. Seeing people on Twitter, seeing people on Facebook, it's all so shallow, but like talking to somebody like I've talked to you. I mean, I know a lot about you now, but I, I've talked some more to you than I've talked to most coworkers in maybe the last five years.
1: Well, and you and I both share that uh, I I love meeting people this way. I've met yeah, me some too. incredible people this way. And it's it's kind of an old-timey concept of sitting on the train with somebody for a few hours.
2: Yes, yes. And
1: you know they'll go and you'll say goodbye. and But for those few hours, you are face-to-face, truth-to-truth, and you have no reason to do anything except just love each other, exchange information, you know, share what you can. And we have, COVID has interrupted our social systems even worse than they were before. But social media has really interrupted our social systems. And I'm not gonna say social media is a horrible thing. It's just one of the beauties of doing what you and I are doing is that in the podcasting world, we're respectful of one another. Yeah. Um, We're, we're grateful. We're happy to be talking. We want to share this information. This is not a battle. This isn't an argument. This is a conversation, which to me is kind of a holy thing. I, uh, I'm a lover of conversation and the power of conversation. And that's not a new thing. It's always been so for me, but here we are, with a tool that enables real conversation between two people who would never meet. In your case, you don't live too far from me, but I mean, I've had these marvelous conversations with Melbourne, Australia. Yesterday, it was the Netherlands and Switzerland. Um, People all with this sharing heart, which is you know, not a thing you're going to read in the newspaper. And I am an addict. I mean, I am a a, a junkie, a newspaper, media—not TV, but print junkie. Yeah, me too. And the headline this morning, the the whole front page, the New York Times today, was the most depressing thing I'd ever seen. And then I read Heather Cox Richardson's report about the say all the same news. And it was wow look at this happening this is so interesting gee these figures are up and it's this... so you got these two totally different world views on the news on what's happening today and of course i'm going wait new york times that, that was always the old gray lady that was always i knew we could get some solid information right. there i don't know that that's true anymore um the slant was was unmistakable it was kind of crazy and i and i my feeling about what's going on is that it's they've got to be clickbait like everybody else now they yeah. cannot sell that paper based on it being information they have to sell the paper based on extreme this is going to hell that's going to hell this will never work they can't possibly what a disappointment you know That's apparently what sells. And so so a lot of us are going around going, wow, (laughs) things are pretty crappy right now. When in fact, it's a slant. And and you and I doing what we're doing today, along with our other compatriots that are in the podcasting world, we don't have to accept that slant. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you
0: mentioned Heather Cox Richardson. She's amazing. I recommend... Anybody yes. who's not familiar with her to look her up, she's really a breath of fresh air and, you know, a great journalist. I really like her stuff.
1: Well, she's a historian. She yeah. she teaches history at Boston University, I think it is.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and she started writing these letters to an American just sort of out of frustration. And she writes beautifully. But it, what she does is she's always coming from a historical point of view. Yeah, like, as opposed to
0: said? hysterical. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. Yes, and so she, so it's very thoughtful, very rational um, and not extreme and not sensational. Y- you will enjoy her for her craft, yeah. but also for, for her bringing the information to you. I know I have learned so much history mm-hmm. uh, reading her stuff. Some of it you kind of know, but, yeah. but she will introduce things that you go, wow, what? you know, I missed that in high school, you know, or history 101, whenever it was. So yes, she's a great resource. Love reading her every day.
0: Well, Lynn, I want to thank you for being on the program. I've had a really great time talking to you. And I really hope to get to have you on here again.
1: You're a generous host. Thank you, Dean. And um, uh, can we be best friends forever now?
0: I think so. Absolutely.
1: All right. Because I'd really like that.
0: I'm honored. Thank you. Right, we'll cut there. Well, thank you for doing this. This has been really nice.
1: Um, I love it, as you can tell. I, I think it's it's um, we're kids with a new toy, but it's um, and you're a librarian.
0: Yeah, I'm. I uh, I really like what I do. I'd like to get paid better. I'm looking for work in other universities, but that'll happen at some point.
1: Well, pay is never commensurate with the value of what someone does, Uh, is it? I mean,
0: no. Yeah, I mean, let's
1: talk about teachers. You know,
0: let's. Oh my God, we we should pay teachers way more. I've known so many teachers who have to struggle and have second jobs. It's not even funny.
1: It's and it's just criminal. It's stupid and criminal. and that's a whole other subject. So, and I, I've taken up your day here.
0: No, I've, uh, it's gone by really quickly. I've loved talking to you. This has well, been great. I,
1: I've loved talking to you. It's been great. And you know, it's it's a box of chocolates, right? We just never know who is going to pop up on that screen. And um, and so far, I, I, I feel like there's some guiding hand on this because it's. It, I haven't had even a a not great experience. Every single experience has been swell, different, you know, but really good.
0: That was our guest, Lynn Bauman, author of Brownies for Breakfast Cookbook. I really enjoyed getting a chance to have Lynn on the podcast and I hope to get her on the podcast again one day because I really enjoy getting a chance to talk to her and there's so many things still left that we get a chance to talk about Coming up this week on Friday, we're going to have Victoria Slinn-Floor talking about her times as the food editor of a New Orleans um, newspaper as the food editor. Um, That's going to be a great conversation. Uh, Victoria's a great friend, and I look forward to having you hear our conversation. And then coming up um, next week, we're going to be having Nina G um, with her new book, The Bay Area Stand-Up Comedy Book, an archival book of the history of comedy in the Bay Area. So until then... Hope you had a good time listening to the podcast and uh, getting to meet our guests and find out about their book. And I hope you have a great rest of your week. Until then, happy cooking.